to my podcast. Podtunes is the perfect way to fall asleep while listening to the best horror, history, and true crime stories. This podcast is presented by Bed Temporis, bedtime stories that will keep you up at night. If you want to hear your story featured on my podcast, email me at mypodtune at gmail.com. That's spelled M-Y-P-O-D-T-U-N-E at gmail.com. This episode includes discussion about sexual assault, murder, cannibalism, child abuse, and necrophilia. Listener discretion is advised. Today we are covering part two of Jeffrey Dahmer. We're going to do a quick recap. If you listened to last week's episode, feel free to skip this recap and enjoy the rest of the episode. Okay, so starting off in 1978, Dahmer had his first kill while he was living alone at his family home. His technique was to lure people in by offering drinks and promising sex for money. So we can see his um, methods sort of start developing at this point in time. He starts college at OSU, uh, eventually fails out of it within a really short time. His father recommended he join the army, so he does, but... He ends up failing out of the army uh, in 1981. He was released from service. From there, he went to Florida because he was too scared of facing his father. And he found a job at a sandwich shop and started living in a motel, but shortly got evicted from the motel. Um, eventually, he asked his dad if he could return to Ohio. So he did and lived with his father and stepmother. He continued drinking, but he seemed to be helping out around the house until he ended up getting arrested for drunken disorderly conduct. So then after his arrest, he moves into his grandmother's house and continued to drink for almost one year. And then he was arrested again, August 7th, 1982. In 1985, he worked at a chocolate factory, uh, taking on the night shifts and started collecting sedatives, telling his doctor that he needed them because he had to work the night shifts. Yeah, so that was his excuse. He then was hit on at the library and that's sort of what sparked his fantasies a little bit more. He started to drug his partners and perform sexual acts while they were unconscious. He seemed to be more aroused when his partner was not moving. So he's frequenting bathhouses, libraries, and gay bars. During this time, he's still going out in public and exposing himself. He eventually gets his membership from the bathhouse revoked. During one of these public flashes, he ends up getting fined and placed on one-year probation, and he was mandated to go to counseling sessions. Fast forward to 1987, he moves in with his grandma again and commits yet another murder. This is shortly followed by two more murders, and his grandma complains about a smell coming from the basement and complains about the boys he's bringing back to the house late at night. So his grandma basically kicks him out. Yeah, so as you can tell, his life is basically up and down. He gets arrested again. This time for fondling a boy. His father ends up hiring an attorney. The attorney suggested that he get checked out by a doctor and was later diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder. In 1989, he was convicted of second degree sexual assault and of enticing a child for immoral purposes. Unfortunately, before his conviction, he managed to kill another victim. He was released from his sentence and moved into a new place in Milwaukee in 1990. He buys a Polaroid camera. He kills four more victims and takes pictures of their bodies with this camera. He's still not satisfied enough, so he continues to try and lure more people back to his apartment. Luckily, these attempts were unsuccessful. Yeah, and during one of these attempts, he accidentally drinks the laced drink, which made him fall asleep and he ended up getting robbed. During this 
time he's collecting skulls and other body parts like trophies. Yeah, which is pretty disgusting. And I think that about sums all of it up. So without further ado, let's begin. In February 1991, Dahmer observed a 17-year-old named Curtis Strotter standing by a bus stop near Marquette University. According to Dahmer, he lured Strotter into his apartment with an offer of money for posing for nude photos. With the added incentive of sexual intercourse, Dahmer drugged Strotter, cuffed his hands behind his back, then strangled him to death with a leather strap. He then dismembered Strotter, retaining the used skull, hands, and genitals, and photographing each stage of the dismemberment process. Less than two months later, on April 7th, Dahmer encountered a 19-year-old named Errol Lindsay walking to get a key cut. Lindsay was heterosexual. Dahmer lured Lindsay to his apartment where he drugged him, drilled a hole in his skull, and poured hydrochloric acid into it. According to Dahmer, Lindsay awoke after this experiment, saying, quote, I have a headache. What time is it? End quote. In response to this, Dahmer again drugged Lindsay, then strangled him. He decapitated Lindsay and retained his skull. He then flayed Lindsay's body, placing the skin in a solution of cold water and salt for several weeks in the hope of permanently retaining it. Reluctantly, he disposed of Lindsay's skin, where he noted it had become too frayed and brittle. By 1991, fellow residents of the Oxford Apartments had repeatedly complained to the building's manager, Sopa Princewell, of the foul smells emanating from a Apartment 213, in addition to the sounds of falling objects and the occasional sound of a chainsaw. Principal did contact Dahmer in response to these complaints on several occasions. Although he initially excused the odors emanating from his apartment as being caused by his freezer breaking, causing the contents to become spoiled, on later occasions he informed Princewell that the reason for the resurgence of the odors was that several of his tropical fish had recently died and that he would take care of the matter. On the afternoon of May 26, 1991, Dahmer and encountered a 14-year-old Lao teenager named Conorak Synthesimphone on Wisconsin Avenue. By coincidence, Conorak was the younger brother of the boy whom Dahmer had molested in 1988. He approached the youth with an offer of money to accompany him to his apartment to pose for Polaroid pictures. According to Dahmer, Synthesimphone was initially reluctant to the proposal before changing his mind and accompanying Dahmer to his apartment where the youth posed for two pictures in his underwear before Dahmer drugged him into unconsciousness and performed oral sex on him. On this occasion, Dahmer drilled a single hole into Synthesimphone's skull, through which he injected hydrochloric acid into the frontal lobe. Before Synthesimphone fell unconscious, Dahmer led the boy into his bedroom, where the body of 31-year-old Tony Hughes, whom Dahmer had killed three days earlier, lay naked on the floor. According to Dahmer, he, quote, believed that Synthesimphone saw his body, yet did not react to seeing the bloated corpse, likely because of the effects of the sleeping pills he had ingested and the hydrochloric acid Dahmer had injected through his skull. Synthesimphone soon became unconscious, whereupon Dahmer drank several beers while lying alongside him before leaving his apartment to drink at a bar, then purchase more alcohol. In the early morning hours of May 27th, Dahmer returned towards his apartment to discover Synthesimphone sitting naked on the corner of 25th and State, talking in Lao with three distressed young women standing near him. Dahmer approached these women and told them that Conorak, whom he referred to by the alias of John Mong, was his friend, and he attempted to lead him to his apartment by the arm. The three women dissuaded Dahmer, explaining that they had phoned 911. Upon the arrival of three Milwaukee police officers, John Balserjak, Joseph Gabrish, and Richard Porobkin, Dahmer's demeanor relaxed. He told the officers that 
Connor Rack was his 19-year-old boyfriend, that he had drunk too much following a quarrel, and that he frequently behaved in this manner when intoxicated, adding his lover had consumed Jack Daniels whiskey that evening. The three women were exasperated, and when one of the trio attempted to indicate to one of the officers that Conorak had blood upon his testicles, was bleeding from his rectum, and that he had seemingly struggled against Dahmer's attempt to walk him to his apartment prior to their arrival, the officer harshly informed her to, quote, butt out and shut the hell up, end quote and not to interfere. Against the protests of these women, the three officers simply covered Conorak with a towel and walked him to Dahmer's apartment where, in an effort to verify his claim that he and Conorak were lovers, Dahmer showed the officers the two semi-nude Polaroid pictures he had taken of the youth the previous evening. Though John said he smelled nothing unusual, Gabrish later noted a strange scent reminiscent of excrement inside the apartment. This odor emanated from the decomposing body of Hughes. Dahmer stated that to investigate this odor, one officer simply, quote, peeked his head around the bedroom but didn't really take a good look, end quote. The officers then left with the departing remark that Dahmer, quote, take good care of Conorak. This incident was listed by the officers as a domestic dispute. Upon the departure of the three officers from his apartment, Dahmer again injected hydrochloric acid into Conorak's brain. On this second occasion, the injection proved fatal. The following day, May 28th, Dahmer took a day's leave from work to devote himself to the dismemberment of the bodies of Conorak and Hughes. He retained both victims' skulls. On June 30th, Dahmer traveled to Chicago where he encountered a 20-year-old named Matt Turner at a bus station. Turner accepted Dahmer's offer to travel to Milwaukee for a professional photo shoot. At the apartment, Dahmer drugged, strangled, and dismembered Turner and placed his head and internal organs in separate plastic bags in the freezer. Turner was not reported missing. Five days later, on July July 5th, Dahmer lured 23-year-old Jeremiah Weinberger from a Chicago bar to his apartment on the promise of spending the weekend with him. He drugged Weinberger and twice injecting boiling water through his skull, sending him into a coma from which he died two days later. On July 15th, Dahmer encountered 24-year-old Oliver Lacey at the corner of 27th and Kilbourne. Lacey agreed to Dahmer's ruse of posing nude for photographs and accompanied him to his apartment, where the pair engaged in tentative sexual activity before Dahmer drugged Lacey. On this occasion, Dahmer intended to prolong the time he spent with Lacey while alive. After unsuccessfully attempting to render Lacey unconscious with chloroform, he phoned his workplace to request a day's absence. This was granted, although the next day he was suspended. After strangling Lacey, Dahmer had sex with the corpse before dismembering him. He placed Lacey's head and heart in the refrigerator and his skeleton in the freezer. Four days later, on July 19th, Dahmer received word that he was fired. Upon receipt of this news, Dahmer lured 25 year old Joseph Braidhoff to his apartment. Braidhoff was strangled and then left lying on Dahmer's bed covered with a sheet for two days. On July 21st, Dahmer removed these sheets to find the head covered in maggots, whereupon he decapitated the body, cleansing the head and placing it in the refrigerator. He later acidified Braidhoff's torso along with two of his other victims he killed within the previous month. On July 22nd, 1991, Dahmer approached three men with an offer of $100 to accompany him to his apartment to pose for nude photographs, drink beer, and simply keep him company. One of the trio, 32-year-old Tracy Edwards, agreed to accompany him to his apartment. Upon entering Dahmer's apartment, Edwards noted a foul odor and several boxes of hydrochloric acid on the floor, which Dahmer claimed to use for cleaning bricks. After some minor conversation, Edwards responded to Dahmer's request to turn his head and view his tropical fish, whereupon Dahmer placed a handcuff upon his wrist. When Edwards asked, what's happening? 
Dahmer unsuccessfully attempted to cuff his wrists together, then told Edwards to accompany him to the bedroom to pose for nude photos. While inside the bedroom, Edwards noticed nude male posters on the wall and that a videotape of The Exorcist 3 was playing. He also noticed a blue 57-gallon drum in the corner from which a strong odor emanated. Dahmer then brandished a knife and informed Edwards he intended to take nude pictures of him. In an attempt to appease Dahmer, Edwards unbuttoned his shirt, saying that he would allow him to do so if he would remove the handcuffs and put the knife away. In response to this promise, Dahmer simply turned his attention towards the TV. Edwards observed Dahmer rocking back and forth and chanting, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. Before turning his attention back to him, he placed his head on Edwards' chest, listened to his heartbeat, and with the knife pressed against his intended victim, informed Edwards he intended to eat his heart. In continuous attempts to prevent Dahmer from attacking him, Edwards repeated that he was Dahmer's friend and that he was not going to run away. Edwards had decided that he was either going to jump from a window or run through an unlocked front door upon the next available opportunity. When Edwards next stated he needed to use the bathroom, he asked if they could sit with a beer in the living room where there was air conditioning. Dahmer consented and the pair walked into the living room. When Edwards exited the bathroom, inside the living room, Edwards waited until he observed Dahmer have a momentary lapse of concentration before requesting to use the bathroom again. When Edwards rose from the couch, he noted Dahmer was not holding the handcuffs, whereupon Edwards punched him in the face, knocking Dahmer off balance and ran out the front door. At 11.30 p.m. on July 22nd, Edwards flagged down two Milwaukee police officers, Robert Routh and Rolf Mueller, at the corner of North 25th Street. The officers noted that Edwards had a handcuff attached to his wrist, whereupon he explained to the officers that a, quote, freak had placed the handcuffs upon him and asked if the police officers could remove them. When the officers' handcuff keys failed to fit the brand of the handcuffs, Edwards agreed to accompany the officers to the apartment where Edwards stated he had spent the previous five hours before escaping. When the officers and Edwards arrived at apartment 213, Dahmer invited the trio inside and acknowledged that he indeed placed the handcuffs upon Edwards, although he offered no explanation as to why he had done so. At this point, Edwards divulged to the officers that Dahmer had also brandished a large knife upon him and that this had happened in the bedroom. Dahmer made no comment to this revelation, indicating to one of the officers Mueller that the key to the handcuffs was in the bedside dresser. As Mueller entered the bedroom, Dahmer attempted to pass Mueller to himself, retrieve the key, whereupon the second officer present, Routh, informed him to quote, back off. In the bedroom, Mueller noted there was indeed a large knife beneath the bed. He also saw an open drawer which, upon closer inspection, contained scores of Polaroid pictures, many of which were human bodies in various stages of dismemberment. Mueller noted the decor indicated that they had been taken in the very apartment in which they were standing, Mueller walked into the living room to show them to his partner, uttering the word, quote, these are for real, end quote. When Dahmer saw that Mueller was holding several photos of his Polaroids, he fought with the officers in an effort to resist arrest. The officers quickly overpowered him, cuffed his hands behind his back, and called a second squad car for backup. At this point, Mueller opened the refrigerator to reveal the freshly severed head of a black male on the bottom shelf. As Dahmer laid pinned on the floor beneath Routh, he turned his head towards the officers and muttered the words, quote, for what I did, I should be dead, end quote. A more detailed search of the apartment conducted by Milwaukee Police Criminal Investigation Bureau revealed a total of 
four severed heads in Dahmer's kitchen. A total of seven skulls, some painted, some bleached, were found in Dahmer's bedroom and inside a closet. In addition, investigators discovered collected blood drippings upon a tray at the bottom of Dahmer's refrigerator, plus two human hearts and a portion of an arm muscle, each wrapped inside plastic bags placed upon the shelves. In Dahmer's freezer, investigators discovered an entire torso, plus a bag of human organs and flesh stuck to ice at the bottom. Elsewhere in apartment 213, investigators discovered two entire skeletons, a pair of severed hands, two severed and preserved penises, a mummified scalp, and in the 57-gallon drum, three further dismembered torsos dissolving in the acid solution. A total of 74 Polaroid pictures detailing the dismemberment of Dahmer's victims were found. In reference to the recovery of body parts and artifacts at 924 North 25th Street. A chief medical examiner later stated, quote, it was more like dismantling someone's museum than an actual crime scene, end quote. Beginning in the early hours of July 23, 1991, Dahmer was questioned by Detective Patrick Kennedy as to the murders he had committed and the evidence found at his apartment. Over the following two weeks, Kennedy and later Detective Dennis Murphy conducted numerous interviews with Dahmer, which when combined totaled over 60 hours. Dahmer waived his right to have a lawyer present throughout his interrogations, adding he wished to confess all as he had, quote, created this horror and it only makes sense. I do everything to put an end to it, end quote. He readily admitted to having murdered 16 young men in Wisconsin since 1987, with one further victim, Stephen Hicks, killed in Ohio back in 1978. Most of Dahmer's victims had been rendered unconscious prior to their murder, although some had died as a result of having acid or boiling water injected into their brain. Dahmer confessed to having consumed the hearts, livers, biceps, and portions of thighs of several victims killed within the previous year. On July 25th, 1991, Dahmer was charged with four counts of first degree murder. By August 22nd, he had been charged with a further 11 murders committed in Wisconsin. On September 14th, investigators in Ohio having uncovered hundreds of bone fragments in woodland behind the address in which Dahmer had confessed to killing his first victim, formally identified two molars and a vertebra with x-ray records of Hicks. Three days later, Dahmer was charged by authorities in Ohio with Hicks' murder. Dahmer was not charged with the attempted murder of Edwards, nor with the murder of Twami. He was not charged with Twami's murder because the Milwaukee County District Attorney only brought charges where murder could be proven beyond a reasonable doubt, and Dahmer had no memory of actually committing this particular murder, for which no physical evidence of the crime existed. At a scheduled preliminary hearing on January 13, 1992, Dahmer pleaded guilty but insane to 15 counts of murder. The prosecution rejected the defense's argument that Dahmer was insane. Forensic psychiatrist Dr. Philip Resnick testified that Dahmer did not suffer from primary necrophilia because he preferred live sexual partners as evidence by his efforts to create unresistant submissive sexual partners devoid of rational thought and to whose needs he did not have to cater. The trial lasted two weeks. On February 15th, the court reconvened to hear the verdict. Dahmer was ruled to be sane and not suffering from a mental disorder at the time of each of the 15 murders for which he was accused for. Although in each count, two of the 12 jurors signified their dissent. Formal sentencing was postponed until February 17th. On this date, Dahmer's attorney announced his client wished to address the court. Dahmer then approached 
approached a lectern and read from a statement prepared by himself and his defense as he faced the judge. Dahmer was then sentenced to life imprisonment plus 10 years upon the first two counts, with the remaining 13 counts carrying a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment plus 70 years. The death penalty was not an option for Judge Graham to consider at the penalty phase as Wisconsin had abolished capital punishment in 1853. Upon sentencing, Dahmer was transferred to the Columbia Correctional Institution. For the first year of his incarceration, Dahmer was placed in solitary confinement due to concerns for his physical safety should he come into contact with fellow inmates. On the morning of November 28, 1994, Dahmer left his cell to conduct his assigned work detail. With him were two fellow inmates, Jesse Anderson and Christopher Scarver. The trio were left unsupervised in the showers of the prison gym for approximately 20 minutes. At approximately 8.10 a.m., Dahmer was discovered on the floor of the bathrooms of the gym suffering from extreme head wounds. He had been severely bludgeoned about the head and face with a 20-inch metal bar. His head had also been repeatedly struck against the wall in the assault. Although Dahmer was still alive and was rushed to a nearby hospital, he was pronounced dead one hour later. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podtoon. Podtoons is updated on a weekly basis, so be sure to tune in next week as we cover the chilling case of Richard Ramirez also known as the Night Stalker.